You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. The, 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 the dichotomy between the team stuff, the bigger canon stuff, and the individual, the, the sort of, pers- again, that personalized layer of those books that allows for deeper examination, then leads to trouble between those characterizations. You know, it's just these weird things that, you know, then a company tries to overcorrect for. And I, there's no specific for that because it's every one of them. And those overcorrections are what cause setbacks. Yeah. It's, it's this trying to find a sacred that stops you from finding the fucking sacred. Hello and welcome to Drinks With God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. You know, like, it's a, like what people consider sacred is actually a very broad topic. And yeah. Especially because uh, a lack of faith, I think, is a faith unto itself, and a lot of people don't realize Watch that. This world make a fool yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and that's uh, definitely probably the weirder end of the show then, because it's not really like a religious belief system, and I also don't have a religious belief system personally, so that's going to be interesting. Well, this I'm- will be... You, you might think that's the weird end of the show, but I'm literally in the process of ending a t- of editing a two part episode, which is just about the homo the rampant homoeroticism in '90s wrestling. Wow, <laughs> that sounds because okay. it, it, yeah. I mean, there's so much of that in I mean modern wrestling too, oh, American yeah. and Japanese. Yeah, but that's oh yeah, oh, we di- we didn't even start to touch east. We didn't <clears throat> even start t- touching the east versus west thing, but that. Mm. So yeah, you got in touch with kind of a broad notion of talking about like the sacred in geek stuff i don't think people even think about the idea of a non-religious topic being a sacred topic but then again geek culture has gotten so incredibly this story has to be told this way and this and Mm. my own particular thing and my own particular point that i always bring up is how batman was to how batman currently is like Mm. adam west will forever be my batman you cannot yeah. take my my drunken Adam West opening a car dealership away from me. <laughs> that Please will, don't. That will always be my <laughs> Batman. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. Oh, I still wish Adam West had done a, a full recording of Dark Knight Returns, you know? Like, yes. that'd have been rad. He, he did that one speech one time, and it was <laughs> awesome. Um, so, uh, that's, yeah. Batman's really interesting, too, because there are sort of eras... Of what Batman is, yeah. too. And, and and people keep trying to get back to, like, that first version with the guns, but that version doesn't work. Like, it didn't work. That's why, that's why the character changed and had to change and had to get, like, a kid sidekick so kids would read the fucking book. Yeah, like, the 90s like, got really gritty with everything, and there were some mm, great, like, I love the fact that they're making Happy right now. Yeah, because that, yeah. that's a great... Example of we can be gritty. We can have. We can still embrace the fact that this happened in comics, um, and the, the, the fact that this impacted a lot of Greek culture. But the, it, we don't have to be so goddamn serious about it. Yeah, there, there's, no, that's, there's humor in this. It's like you said, going back to the '90s thing too. Of like when when uh, uh, 
Batman got into that super dark, super gritty place. Like, he was even wearing the all-black, no-underwear suit from the movies yeah. at a certain point. Like, they still brought in a Tim Drake. And the whole point of that Robin was this kid who figures out who the Robins were, figures out Batman's deal, walks up to Bruce Wayne and is like, you're getting real dark, dude. You need a Robin. Like, yeah, like that's the whole thing. So this, like, self-correction back towards humor in geekdom is really fascinating to me because geek... You know, I, I feel like the prevailing wind of geekdom, which I am not a part of, prefers grounded and gritty and real. And that's cool sometimes when that's the story you're telling. But I would much rather like a big, you know, four-color 60s Fantastic Four than mutated freaks from cosmic radiation. Like, yeah, I just I mean, want the fun family going on adventures. Like, yeah. I don't need, like, fantastic or are they? Yeah. Like, like give I, me the good <laughs> shit, you know? Like, the fun shit. I just had the like, best, the best uh, image of just kind of, like, Midwestern car trip Fantastic Four. Like, I would yeah. love the shit out of that. Yeah. That was essentially I mean, that. that. Was they the, were, like, they were like you know, yeah. coming out of Minnesota, like... <laughs> yeah. That was Peyton Reed's pitch from yeah, what i understand like it was gonna be like a family romp uh i think it was gonna be a period piece too like and i would much prefer that movie to any of the movies we've gotten yes any of them and 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 similarly like looking at the x-men franchise like they've done was it four or five movies in a row now where the ending of the movie is and now they're the x-men and you're like, okay, cool, next movie they're actually going to do X-Men things, like be on an X-Men adventure and finally be the fucking X-Men. And you get there, and no, that's not what you get. You get, like, another, like, broody Wolverine solo film yeah. involving some other people who occasionally use their powers in interesting question mark CGI ways. Yeah. Um, and just, like, bounce around in the background as sort of a color palette and a tone and not really, like, a thing. And... Yeah, so you just get to, like, the next movie, and you're like, okay, is it going to be the fucking X-Men yet? And like, nope. even now, like, looking at Dark Phoenix, I'm like, okay, it's too soon for this to be anything you're doing. You still don't have a fucking team. Like, you just wore the costumes for two seconds. Like, stop it. Stop. Stop it. And they won't. Yeah. It's just, it's, every one of those movies is going to end with, and now they're the X-Men. Well, we, we swear. Another origin ah. story. Wait, before yeah. we get to... Um, too deep Random. into our conversation. Yeah. Uh, we should. I should actually uh, try and introduce you to the oh, audience. Yeah. Um, yes. There oops. is an uh, an invisible audience here, and the NSA oh. and God. We already covered that. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. They know who I am. Yeah. All right. Hi NSA. Hi God. Um, hi audience. <laughs> Enjoy my browser history. Hopefully, just God on that one. Right. Um, I'm not going to apologize <laughs> for my browser history. Oh, yeah. I should say, like, my name and shit. Uh, um, I am Michael Nixon. Yes. I am a guy who is also a geek. Uh, I'm mainly a writer, actually. Uh, I'd, I'd prefer that to be the main thing people know me for. Uh, I also podcast. Uh, oh, I can introduce the podcast naturally now. Oh, um, you can. We were joking about this later. Uh, earlier. Um, <laughs> later, uh, earlier. Time is irrelevant. It's true. Uh, I am a Doctor Who fan, too. Uh, but anyway, podcasts I do are Having a Friend for Dinner, uh, which is a Hannibal Lecter podcast. My writing partner, Melinda, and I are going through the three seasons of Hannibal and sprinkling in the movies uh, for context. Um, for something a little more esoteric and, like, geeky, a previous show we did that's kind of on hold now while we do the Hannibal Project uh, was the 1986 cast, uh, which was a whole podcast analyzing the year 1986 and... How we, like, 
it's just this weird theory we had, and then the more we dug into the research of it, the more evidence was there that, like, 1986 is the fulcrum on which modern geekdom turns. Uh, the sort okay. of point I came to the end, by the end of the podcast, the sort of notion I have of it is, like, 1986 is the first year everybody was like, and now it's the future. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it's 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 the first year that sort of geek stuff was doing that. Like, Marvel created the new universe, uh, DC was at the tail end of Crisis and doing things like Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, Man of Steel, you know, DC's a great one on their own for proving this point. Uh, but then, you know, Dark Horse launches and starts publishing also in 86, and uh, Chernobyl happens, and the Challenger happens, and by all accounts, Reagan starts suffering a little bit of Alzheimer's. So, like, 86 worldwide, globally, is a really kind of fundamental year. Um, yeah, every time Paul Ryan change. tries to sell a terrible tax plan, he says the last time we changed the tax code was in 1986. Um, like, it's... It's just a year that will always come up and never leaves you alone once you start looking for it. Uh, it just it has this weird kind of key in the lock keystone thing. Um, also, like Labyrinth comes out, which is really weird. Yeah, no, that's uh, it. <laughs> it's like a weird like Bowie Henson Lucas Nexus point. Uh, also, Howard the Duck. Like the, the movie side of it is really weird too. Like there's all kinds of stuff that makes you think. Anyway. I just want to say you're the only guest I've ever had that has actually introduced themselves, and thank you for doing oh, <laughs> it's probably sure. It's probably because you're the only um, podcaster I've interviewed. Most yeah. people are just kind of academics that I've pulled out of the, out of the back of a library or <laughs> dusted off and shoved in front of people. Um, oh, well, that's good. I'm at least slightly socialized. Slightly. But I, don't know. I am still kind of dusty, I imagine, I so... <laughs> I've at least had some practice introing myself. I, don't know. I, I know you from the film world, so I don't know how uh, how socialized we are. <laughs> oh, that's very yeah. That's there's always a layer. Yeah, in in film world adjusted terms, uh, <laughs> in person who writes stuff adjusted terms, we are, I guess, kind of normal. <laughs> we decide how other people define normal thanks to the yeah. media. I leave that to other people. Right. I I sort of eschew the notion of normal. That's kind of that's weird. Leading back to the geek thing too, I sort of eschew the notion of canon. I don't think it's like I think canon's like a nice idea, but we've moved beyond it. Yeah. Uh, so much of geek stuff is just personal now, yeah. um, and uh, people. I think people people are slow to re- like the, the the wider group of geeks are sort of slow to realize that that sort of what geek stuff is now and what it's going to be now is super personalization like hyper niche kind of geek shit like all the titans tv show stuff is going to be on a separate dc comics platform like all these ott platforms uh like cbs all access for star trek or sorry i've gone into like a deeper other ramble here but no it's but that actually brings up um brings us back to the main point is the fact that Mm. because things are getting so incredibly personal um, so soon, like in relative terms, so soon after things had been gotten, been made to be grammar English had so incredibly like gritty, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, that we are talking about the idea of the sacred in geekdom and why that's is it bullshit? Is it legitimate? Both of us have a similar opinion, but we're going to try and be a we're not going to be neutral because this is drinks with God and we're supposed to do this at least somewhat drunk. Yes, <laughs> um, deal. I'm having. 
coffee and not coffee. <laughs> I am also having coffee and not coffee. I'm not sure what, I don't, I don't even remember what I put in there. Um, but. <laughs> I remember, I'm just not going to say. That's okay. Oh, <laughs> that's between you and the, and the NSA, as we have, as we also. Oh, yes. Uh, as we also discussed. You, the it's NSA, true. and God. Um, well, <laughs> you can know what you put in your mug. <laughs> I will admit that back in the day, I used to listen to Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman show. Yeah. Like, back when, back when it was still an interview show and not, like, a daily news podcast for some fucking reason. Um, why? Uh, uh, I love Mark Bernardin, but, like, why? Uh, <laughs> other commentary. <laughs> that I probably shouldn't have made. Fuck it. Uh, sorry, career. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things I loved in the interviews he would do is you could always hear him, like, lighting the lighter and, like, smoking and coughing. Uh, what was clearly a joint, uh, and the, 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 uh, the person he was interviewing having to sort of navigate around saying but not saying if they were also partaking, yeah. um, which was always sort of a fun feature. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Asking okay. under their breath what is going to be edited out and how much is going to be edited out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is this I'm live? Gonna, is this not live, right? <laughs> you're just going to put all this on the air, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> Which is fine, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I've lost the question. What was the question? Um, I, I was pretty much just circling back to uh, let everybody else the know that we're talking about the yeah. sacred. And so in your own, just to kind of, you know, put a pin in this, t- in this uh, topic, what ex- how exactly would you define the idea of the sacred in terms of pop culture? It's the first thing that pops in my head is there are levels to all of it. There are these sort of unspoken levels to what is sacred. There, there are a couple sort of layers that I think overlap on each other at different angles, like a weird like Venn diagram. So it's like there's a generational layer, and the stuff that sort of titrates up into canon are the things that survive across those generational barriers forward in time, I suppose. So that stuff's like the sticky shit. And I think it's that's really interesting because we're entering a time, uh, it's interesting to me at least, because we're entering a time where everything is way less sticky. So the things that are going to stay in our pop culture are things that refer back to old shit. And what does that mean for the generation of new material? Like, how does that actually get allowed for? But the thing is, if there's, like, a crucible not allowing that stuff, really interesting shit will still boil to the surface. So who the fuck knows? That's not my job. The other set of layers to it is sort of depth into geek shit, for lack of a better term. I, I don't like the sort of gatekeeper like, you're not really a geek unless you've read, like, blah, blah, blah thing. A lot of people are, though, mind you. And... I, I can understand where the, like, the notion pops in your brain to justify it. I've had that notion in the past. I have, like, I don't subscribe to it anymore. You know, like, it's not not part of my deal. Uh, I, I cancel the RSS feed on gatekeeping. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know? Um, but that said, I'm still the guy who, like, if you ask me, I will say if Blink is your favorite Doctor Who episode, you're not actually a Doctor Who fan. Like, that's... I, I say I'm not a gatekeeping guy, but I can also admit, like, I have specific douchey opinions about things I love. So, you know, you have to accept the circle of it. I feel like uh, that but, makes you a geek, though. Having that yeah, level of... Exactly. Yeah, having that yeah. attachment is how you get your geek card. Exactly. <laughs> and I, 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 it doesn't matter to me how 
quote-unquote surfacy that attachment is. If you have your personal version of what a thing is and should be, you are a geek for that thing. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and that goes for sports people too. You know, it's, there's a every so often, you know, every Star Wars movie that comes out, I think I see the same tweet from different people in my feed at different times because this thought is occurring to them at different times of the day uh, that they'll watch some people dressed in full sports regalia shit on people dressed in full Star Wars regalia as geek shit. And it's like, hey, uh, what the fuck, stat guy who's memorized all the players' names and history and games and all this shit that makes you a fucking geek too? Admit it, asshole. Also, you're probably going to go see that Star Wars movie. Like, yeah. we try to pretend these layers are very separate, but in the same way that things are becoming way less sticky, I think things are becoming way more geeky. Because the sort of, in the same way like politics are moving right, geekdom is moving center. It's, it's, a, it's a weird way of thinking of it, but I think of, I don't know, I think of existence in spectrums, really. It's yeah. really the only way to, it's everything. It's, everything runs on spectrums. Oh, sorry, I bumped my mic. Everything runs on spectrums. It's gender, geekdom, fucking sexuality, uh, uh, color of people uh like all of it everything language sometimes there's more sometimes there's more than one access too because especially when it comes to politics in um comics which is a whole other fucking podcast i think Um, geekdom has at least a z axis you know there's at least three dimensions if not four operating there i mean if you talk to grant morrison he's got the fucking (laughs) multiversity going in his head so who the hell knows but probably uh, wormholes in there too yeah, Geekdom is a Tesseract. That makes the most sense to me. Yeah, sure. That actually, yeah, fine. It's, it's, nothing makes sense, and when you enter it, it's the fucking zone from Stranger. Uh, <laughs> this is just a, oh, you invited me on and say reference every show. Sorry to everybody frantically wikiing things. No, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I put a whole bunch of really out there, like, series of links in the show notes. Good, okay, good. <laughs> so yeah, so the sort of, yeah, the, 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 the layering of it and the, unmooring of center, quote-unquote, of, of sacred is what I find interesting. And the sort of things that maintain as sacred for people, too. But then at the, the funny thing, too, is like a lot of modern geek stuff is obsessed with wrapping up the holes in its own canon, or like fixing, quote-unquote, mistakes in the canon, and as a result, creating less satisfying iterations. Uh, there are like two good Terminator movies. Yeah. No, because every Terminator movie after it has been obsessed with the first two, uh, and trying to like either follow on or justify or do whatever. And, like that's, I think that's a, a good concrete example of the sacred, actually, because uh, uh, weirdly enough, because like Terminators one and two are sacred to the Terminator universe, but everything after that is another timeline. Um, even though Terminator two itself is another timeline because t1 is a closed loop which is like the the rules of time travel change across those two movies yeah uh to allow a second movie which is fine with me i'm of the opinion that terminator 2 is the greatest american action film ever made come fight me come on we'll do it uh if you say the matrix as a response i'll just laugh (laughs) it's like i love the matrix but it's like is it really an action movie? It's like uh, a really awesome, deep thinking movie, you know. Uh, the reason, kind of I, you know, the reason I love The Matrix is just because of how much I love Snow Crash. 
And, yeah. and that's just me, of course, going back to, you have to read this book if you love this, or like, you, you can't, you can't oh, yeah. really love this movie until you've read yeah, this yeah. book, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, we can, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, let me, the, the Terminator, let me wrap up my Terminator yeah, yeah. thing, and, and we can do some sacred, because, like, Watchmen's a great one for this. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, going back to my, like, 86, and so is DKR, uh, Dark Knight Returns, is also, yeah, actually. like, like, it's a key fulcrum of, of Batman, too. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the, the Terminator thing is, like, if you look at every other version of that, every other movie since then has been trying to be the third movie. Yeah. Um, even the TV show, the uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I really enjoy, uh, and actually has some cool ideas about, like, they justify everything about time travel in their show, which is really weird. Like, they have, like, a big er arc about time travel for the Terminator universe to the point that when new movies are put together, they bring those showrunners in to be like, okay, what was your fucking theory on time travel? Because we've heard it really good. And, like, they go with it. Like, whatever the next thing is, they're like, they get producer credits, their time travel thing is a really good idea. It's like the keystone we're working off of. So it's one of those weird things where, like, it has a canon, but it's like an oral tradition canon. It's something that evolves in the mind of its storytellers over time. Uh, but it still has these two crystallized uh, examples in those first two movies. It's, it's very odd yeah, it's, in that way. Yeah, you know, it's, it's still the basis by which everything is built. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a foundation. It's a sort of sacred foundation, I guess, yeah. for lack of trying to bring this one back together. So, I mean, like, I've got my own my own little points uh, to make, but I, I want to first hear, obviously, um, what, what you have to say about the... Uh, and I just lost it. Oh no! <laughs> Went out of my head completely. Let me just talk talk about what I was going to talk about. We'll probably remember the um. So one thing that I love about throwing like self awareness and like th- this can be funny if we go back to original like whole idea of the the oral history of what comics actually are and this is supposed to be entertaining is what Agents of Shield did within the Marvel franchise. Like, there are, I will totally admit, there are so many problems with that show, and a lot of them came from the production at behind-the-scenes-ness of it. But in terms of what the story did within the universe, is it took the, the whole getting grittier and grittier and, like, the oral tradition, and we're going to, like, fix all these plot holes, and we're going to build this team, and we're going to create this 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 sacred group of people who everyone is so super invested in, like... Just, just try right now to cast somebody else as Tony Stark. There will be an yeah. uproar. There will be petitions. There will be anger. There will be blood in the streets. But look at Agents of Shield, which is taking, which is the cleanup crew. They are the mm. point of them is to fill in all the plot holes. But they're not taking themselves seriously. They're taking the whole universe and just being like, here's a whole bunch of things that like maybe you've been um, talked about with no real answers on chat boards. Um, about this, like, well, who cleans up when the monster goes running loose at the end of... It was Thor 2, right? Where they just, like, had a monster running loose, I think. Uh, and then they cleaned it up in the next... Literally the next week. It's like, well, it's these guys. And this is what... And this is how they did it. This the fact that you're taking what would generally be considered background noise and not really interesting. We're going to keep the levity and we're going to keep the weird and we're going to keep the self-awareness. Like, that one moment in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they're pulling out the old, um weapons and spike gear, and they're like, oh man, is this a this thing? Is this a that thing? And, um, when they're in the motel room after, like, everything's gone to shit. Spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> From, like, what, three, two, three years ago? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the funny thing about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., too, is, I mean, 
maybe spoilers for you, but they've actually like divorced them from the movies. Yeah. It's they are in a separate continuity from the films now. Yeah, because the studios and the TV folks don't—they're they're kind of run under separate operations now. Um, so I mean, to the point where it's been said that in the movies, Coulson is still dead. Where Coulson being alive and the leader of Agents of Shield is kind of the key of that show. Um, so it's the sacred uh, uh, is still in flux even there because it's it's not true uh, the same way to both ends of the the, the I guess franchise canon whatever the hell. Yeah, um, I mean it's even I would even say like the whole reason that the Marvel universe is able to function right now is because mm-hmm. Coulson died. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's like literally that's, the thing that brings them together. Yeah. And the whole reason that the, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. universe is able to function is because Coulson didn't die. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and it's this great big lie that they've all just sort of agreed to keep for a very long time. Uh, I really, we're like, there's no S.H.I.E.L.D., in the Marvel films, and the Marvel TV show also argues that people don't think there's a shield, but there is one. Yeah. So it's the, the whole show is operating on this meta narrative that don't believe what the movies will tell you. There is still a shield, and we are that shield. Which is it's and funny. It's, it's like a level that I don't know if they know there. It, it's it's just like a funny like yeah, meta joke on top and- of it all. And up to a point, it just makes me, like, hope that deep down, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually just, uh, Tony Stark and, um, Captain America's fan fiction about, like, oh, yeah. how much they miss yeah. Coulson. <laughs> Good old Coulson. What do you think he's up, what do you think he'd be up to these days? If he wasn't dead. Oh, he'd have, like, a robot hand. <laughs> dealing with some aliens on the moon. Yeah! Or, like, he's definitely hanging out with the Inhumans in a bunch of empty concrete rooms. Uh, <laughs> he's being a badass like that. Like, yeah, um, he's rad. Uh, and actually on the same sort of, like, weird meta-commentary notion, like, uh, on, the, on the Wolverine side, too, I find it really fascinating that the last, the quote-unquote last Wolverine movie that is, again, like, an anti-canon... A Wolverine story, like it, it purposefully doesn't operate in the new canon they've just established one movie ago. Yeah, um, which is wild to me. Um, it introduces like X Men comic books in it, and at the at the meta level, um, the whole movie is about. And I, I'm not saying anything about. I'm not actually trying to say anything about Hugh Jackman here. Don't get me wrong, but like the whole movie is sort of about like Hugh Jackman getting replaced by someone else in the part. With that whole X twenty four thing yeah. and and the X twenty three side, like who will replace Logan? But it's Logan coming to terms with the notion that he will be replaced. Um, and hopefully, the end of that movie is them saying, like, "Don't worry, we're going to go for the feminine version, not the hyper aggressive, Ultimate Universe looking, yeah. grumpy <laughs> shithead version." Like, I don't want that. I don't want you know some new hot dude dressed as a gruff asshole and a wife beater being a fucking asshole. Like, I don't need that. Yeah, like, yeah, that's not what I'm looking for. You're, you're setting uh-huh. it up to do something new, because it is oral history. It's a story. It's entertainment. We can change yeah. things. We can mix it up. It's all yeah, made up. Should. It's all made yeah. up. This is for entertainment. It can yeah. and should change with the times. Which is that's what it, where yeah. which is where the uh, sacred comes back in. Exactly. I think that's... it's. I keep coming back to comics because it's like a great example of an ongoing, 
constant argument about what the sacred is. Yeah. Like, in real time, in the world of comics. Um, you, you know, in the last five or ten years, both DC and Marvel, who are sort of the big two, if, for folks who aren't, who don't know, I guess, just quick, like, DC is like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Justice League. Uh, Marvel is Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, flawed people, mostly in New York. Uh, there you go. Uh, uh, but uh, the big two uh, in the last like five or ten years have both had this sort of ongoing back and forth internally. I think not not between the two companies. They're, they're two separate companies run by two mega conglomerate other fucking companies. But there's this been the, there's been this sort of struggle between like what is our new sacred? And on Marvel's side, I think it's been this. At least from my perspective, it's been this explosion in creating brand new characters and really trying to generate new iterations of old IP. So there's a thousand new spider people now, and there's even a new Iron Man, there's a new Cap. There's, there's all these new, more diverse iterations of characters, and they're, I think they're trying to see what sticks and what has stuck. And uh, uh, again, trying to titrate out new stuff within geekdom and trying to find new sacreds. Um, I think they're going to have a lot of trouble making Thor Thor again in the comics because Jane Foster is so ingrained to people as Thor now. And she's been Thor for a very long time. And the character who is previously known as Thor, who's in the comics now called just the Odin son, uh, is this like rad metal armed, like side of a fucking van metal painting, uh, uh, character now and people don't want him to go back to being Thor like sometimes these changes can be allowed for and sometimes the opposite is true like Captain America they've completely snapped back to it just being uh, super patriotic definitely never a Nazi Steve Rogers who was (laughs) never a Nazi don't worry about it Um, (laughs) that was a bad dream we fucked that up so bad we got a new EIC who's also kind of a mess fuck Um, (laughs) In terms of, like, dark and gritty and com- and even across, within um, one mm. company, you'll see, like, differences. Yes. Um, from one that's, more, that's, a better-known yeah. franchise to a lesser-known franchise. Like, yeah. the example that I really know, and you're well aware of how uh, much I love Opal City, and I grew up with Opal City, and I've constantly oh, yes. ranted about <laughs> that. Fuck yes! <laughs> um, and I how love Starman. Yes. My, and how one of my all-time favorite characters is the shade who you'll see in the flash like old school flash as well as opal city for those of you who don't know um opal city is uh basically the albany to um that you'll find in the dc comic world um i don't know like which earth that is earth one earth two earth five the thing is like the the 90s were a separate multiverse than we have now yeah so like it was or it was the only earth that was the thing in the 90s like it had all condensed down to one world and there was hyper time it was like a whole other fucking thing yeah earth (laughs) 90s i guess over in opal city like you'll have a whole lot of really interesting like things that were being talked about like they went into like starman got raped at one point um Mm -hmm. there was a, a whole lot of really um interesting discussion about new new forms of energy and like inventions and like talking about like xenophobia um but there was also um the shade who was 
he on all his flashbacks you see him hanging out with like his friends Oscar Wilde and Charles Dickens being his weird semi-English self and he was a villain in every single other iteration except for when he was in Noble City. It was pretty much where he's like this is where I'm relaxing, I'll fight on the side of good because this is my place to chill. And whenever you see him in The Flash, he almost is diminished. Like he doesn't have his or he doesn't use his full range of powers and you see him explaining that in the shade, just, I'm sorry, in the shade, because he did have his own miniseries, but also very much so in Starman, just being like, oh, I don't want to actually, like, kill the guy, this is my fun cat and mouse moment, um, like, this is entertaining to me, like, I'm blowing off steam, which you wouldn't really get that if you only knew him from The Flash. Yeah. He's a whole other character down there, even though he's the same character. Yeah, and it's, 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 The Shade's a great example of this, too, because they just brought the shade back in the, the current Flash comics. And, and DC's really been, uh, in contrast to the Marvel side, which, which I was uh, talking about earlier, DC's really been trying to hone back to like the quote-unquote classic version of their characters. They they tried a big experiment in modernization. It didn't take. Uh, and <laughs> like everything's a little more complicated now. Superman merged with the previous Superman. Like Wonder Woman has a whole new history where she's not the God of War, whatever the fuck, Batman de-aged and is now like a multiverse crusader. Who the fuck cares? Uh, it's fine. Uh, 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 but but what, what, was, what was interesting is, uh, with The Shade is, The Shade is just a villain again. Because um, The Shade showed up in Flash comics and is like just a villainous character. And it was it was kind of a thing with some of the, the older geek kind of board circle things I still pay attention to of, oh crap, they like the shade's just a boring villain again. Yeah. Um, the sort of counter argument to that, and the, again, the like personalization aspect of it is, no, there's still room for those '90s things to survive because in the '90s books, uh, uh, the shade talks about, like you said, like this is a game. It's a ca- it's, it's it's a fun adventure for me. So yeah. you can still read uh, uh, that fla- this new version of the Flash's shade that was a lot of things anyway uh uh uh, you could still read that character playing the game which is the artist formerly known as the shade now known as the shade uh, yeah now known as the other shade (laughs) yeah the less shady shade Um, yeah the the shade 90s now shade rebirth because everything's rebirth 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 Um, well is, is he like the personification of entropy is he like ageless, like, shadow person, like, full of nightmares and weird quasi-voodoo? Does he... Do they ever mention the fact that he's got that vampire pirate child who's, like, the the villainous of the Batman of Barcelona? Like, do they have... Do they talk about his daughter, La Sangre, at all, or... No. Not... I mean, that's the thing, is, like, it's it's all gone back to this surface layer of continuity to not scare people away. So, all the, like, deeper... Like, that deeper legacy stuff that I loved from DC, they tried to really get rid of, and they're only now starting to get back into, because I think there was a, I hope there was a realization of, like, no, we kind of need this legacy thing. It's sort of what's, as much as those, the big seven characters, you know, the big iconic Justice League characters from back in the 90s, were sort of the key of, of... DC, they, they've redefined even what those core characters are. Now it's like a, a core six for the movies. Yeah. Um, they're one of the this was a former Teen Titan who's now only ever been a Justice Leaguer, quote unquote. So the sort of like conscious reworking of the mythos has 
only led to problems. So now they're having to go back to earlier models. Again, it's like what has infiltrated forward across generations is what they have to stick to. They can't get rid of any of the Robins. Like there was a conscious effort to try and hone down how many Robins there had been because they wanted Batman to only have been Batman for five years. And that doesn't fucking work when there are five Robins, one of whom is your 10-year-old kid. Like how did you ever get the attention of Raish or Talia al Ghul if you weren't a the Batman? You know, like you have to be the Batman to do the Batman things. Um, so they've run it and is sort of moving now again to that sort of farther end of the scale where Batman has been doing this for so long that they're saying he's just de-aged himself and Superman is a dad uh, with a wife and a kid now and, and they've, they've just gone ahead and said like, eh, we're going to just do a new era of these characters instead because trying to go back doesn't work. Um, at the same time, now that Marvel is trying to go back, like they're doing this legacy event and having all the new characters meet the classic versions and, and honing everything back down to what the new sort of quote-unquote iconic versions will be. Um, while at the same time, I think both comics companies are now chasing the movie companies, which are chasing the comics companies. So there's this like weird, everybody's behind everybody else cycle to it. Um, at the same time, we're having these cultural shakeouts in terms of harassment and... and uh, uh, just general horrible inappropriateness to people that, that is shaking out a lot of entrenched people in comics who were who were very key to certain companies. Unfortunately, at the expense of other probably, I mean, at least better people, if not better talent, who could have risen up those ranks, who could have risen up those ranks, who have left. Um, so there's this real, I think for lack of a better term, crisis, kind of boiling in Big Two Comics of where the hell do we go from here? Um, to the point where I think everybody's just making big leaps to try again to, to, to stop chasing tails and try and justify, or uh, try to set their own kind of course again. That, okay, this is like a bigger conversation I could get into about like art leaving control of the artist and like when fucking art becomes the public's thing, but like, yeah. I think comics need to sort of understand that it's not their job to define what iconic is, they need to just tell good fucking stories, like the the stuff I love from DC is the late 80s, early 90s when they had Batman out, and like, they were doing crazy good, so they could just do whatever the fuck they wanted, and and as a result you get amazing runs like Mike Grell's, uh, like uh, Mike Grell's Green Arrow or uh, Hawkworld, which is a personal favorite. I've yeah. got a fucking page of Hawkworld over here. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, like it's there's this whole uh, uh, '90s era of just doing really cool, weird shit with these characters because they had the safety net of a big movie, a big trinity of characters to allow uh, experimentation below. Uh, uh, whereas now there isn't as much room for that. There are, you know, the odd examples of modern, cool experiments that have redefined characters, but then those characters just have to be reset at the end of it. Uh, a great example of that is, is Marvel's The Vision, um, which is an amazing run of comics, but by the end of it, it's untenable for characters, so they have to sort of, like, 
the climax of everything is like a big explosion in these characters that, for the nature of continuity, they kind of have to reset at the end of. Like, yeah. the Vision returns to being the Vision. Instead of, like, this solo runs the Vision. You know? Yeah. Like, the, 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 the dichotomy between the team stuff, the bigger canon stuff, and uh, uh, the individual, the, the sort of Pers- again, that personalized layer of those books that allows for deeper examination then leads to trouble between those characterizations. It, it's just these weird things that then, you know, then a company tries to overcorrect for. And I, there's no specific for that because it's every one of them. And those overcorrections are what cause setbacks. Yeah. It's, it's this trying to find a sacred that stops you from finding the fucking sacred. Like, you overcorrect yeah, and you have tr- to go you're back trying so to the hard. thing. Like, um, yeah. You'll, um, there's, uh, yeah, it brings up a couple points um, in, with me anyway. There's, um, mm. it just reminds me so much about, like, how Hollywood had a couple, like, actors and actresses, old Hollywood, where there's kind of like, these people will always bring in people, uh, we have these couple writers, we're just, and then we just have money to burn. We can experiment. Mm-hmm. On whatever writers and stuff, the mid-range. and yeah. that yeah, and that happened again a bit, like in the '90s, and we had some mm-hmm. like some cool ex- films where people, they were just kind of like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll try, we'll 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 give you some money, we'll 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 take a we'll take a shot on you, um, no no name person with a cool sounding script who just was able to get their foot in the door over here somehow, um, yeah. but also there are two comics that came out when they were when comic book companies were both getting grittier and able to just kind of, re- like, rely on their mainstays, and so they could experiment. There was a comic that was experimenting with one of their, um, in DC, that was experimenting with one of their mainstays, and there was another comic which was dealing with absolutely nobody from any other comic and was its own condensed thing, and everyone essentially died at the end, so they really couldn't, they could reboot it, or they could, um, or they could just, uh, ignore it and try and give the, uh, the writers more money to make another another hit, maybe. So the first one that I'm talking about is um, whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, mm. and I loved that one because they were specifically playing with canon. They had this sacred character, this Batman in '90s, like that's that that's pre- that's pretty fucking sacred. Like you're not going to mess too much with that winning formula right there. That you're winning yeah. more and more people to to the to the world of geekdom through comics with that. Um just about to hit it off, nobody really knew with um comic book movies um really hard um and with that specific book um like graphic novel, we had like let's literally play with canon it opened up just like batman's dead how did he die everyone's there and each person has their own story about who batman was what this all really was about and how he died and i think one of my favorite panels is of course everyone's favorite panel from this which is when alfred admits to being the joker Uh like that's like that was like this hit everybody out of that field everybody the first time they see that they're like they they just can't process thoughts for another 24 hours, like, immediately after seeing that page. Oh, yeah. Um, just because it was so concise. Like, e- but each bit in that was its own vignette of, let's change this, let's change this up, let's change this up, let's play with this again, let's completely rewrite the script, like, a dozen times within this one book about, you know, like, the Jesus Christ of this, of our Bible here. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a Rashomon. Yeah, yeah, it's a Rashomon about Jesus Batman. Yeah, <laughs> Batman Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And the other one, which I was talking about, where it was an amazing book and you couldn't really go anywhere with any of the characters afterward except for hope that the writers did something amazing again, was um, uh, Punk Rock Jesus, where um, it was about Jesus Christ 2 um, on an island and that guy who had been in the IRA, who's the bodyguard, and the guy's known as the cemetery. I don't know if you've read, read that. I've read that, so... Uh, um, I remember, like, at least in, like with all like the, the dirty skater punk stoners that I was, like, growing up with, we were like, well, like, we love this book, and, um, every time I come across a new person, like, they've read, they've read it, and, um, I constantly was, like, seeing it pop up in comic book stores, and even today, like, I'll still see it, like, up there on the shelf next to, um, Watchmen and, um, other comics from the, from the era, like, sometimes I'll see Happy there next to it, and I'm very happy, I'm, I'm very glad, very happy that that's becoming a, a movie now. Um, because oh, I, yeah. yeah, because that goes back to the whole idea of like super gritty, but not taking it seriously because this is storytelling and, and entertainment. That'd be hilarious. Too. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's so wrong. Yeah. So hilarious. Yeah. I love Maloney it. Maloney is just knocking out of the fucking park and <laughs> Oswald is so funny. Like it's, oh. it's so sublime. It's, it's just, yeah, it's perfect. As soon as I heard his voice in the trailer, I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. same way as yeah. with the rock. As soon as it's, just the first shot of Maloney, like, swigging a full bottle of whiskey, I'm like, yeah, you've, I'm in. Whatever the fuck this is, you've got me the whole ride. Yeah. <laughs> the, same, the same exact feeling I got when I saw that they cast Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool. I'm just like, all right, yes. yes. All right, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he can make good for that weird Wolverine movie. Yeah, and the fact uh, that he specifically talked about and made reference to, because that's yeah. what Deadpool is, and that's perfect about, like, talking about, like, knocking down the sacred within its own genre, have a character whose whole yeah. thing is doing that. Yeah. Um, like, his shtick is uh, shitting on other people's shtick, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, <laughs> a, a, a character with meta-narrative powers, which is wild. Yeah. And the, 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 the fun thing, too, is they, they've got a... Part of Marvel's like broadening of all their characters is now there's a, a character called Gwenpool, who's like a lady Deadpool, um, and her thing. She, it was initially like unclear what her powers were because she had sort of metafictional powers, but recently they sort of revealed that her thing is she can move between panels. Oh. Like she has, where Deadpool can sort of see the fourth wall, she can move outside of its space. Sort of, it's it's, it's such cool. a wild like three dimensionalization of his power. You know, it's it's. It's cool. Like, it's a cool new layer again. Um, oh, that's great. Uh, right? And then uh, at the same time, the thing I love about whatever happened, the, uh, whatever happened in the Cape Crusader is that was, it was actually like uh, uh, 2009, uh, that thing came out right around Final Crisis and all that, like, crazy wrap-up, Batman, Batman R.I.P., like, Grant Morrison starting all that weird multiverse yeah. shit, too. Um, um, wasn't that right... Around Sin City, the movie coming out, I believe so. Yeah, yeah like yeah. that was right where it was just kind of like gritty comics in popular yeah. culture. Like, and then this book, dark yeah. shit, yeah. yeah. And then whatever was, happened to Great Crusader was just kind of like we can rewrite the script. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it was it was also like the peak of comics not being synced up with the movies. Yeah, because <laughs> it was right around when I think Dark Knight, I think the Dark Knight was coming out 
maybe Dark Knight Return, or maybe Dark Knight Rises. I'm not sure which. Uh, I don't remember the dates of the Nolan movies. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> weirdly enough, but it was like one of those Nolan movies came out at the same time Batman died in the comics. <laughs> there was this whole like fight for who was going to be the new Batman and all this shit. While Batman was traveling through time because it was all this wild shit that was happening to Batman that was just really not new user friendly. Like. Yeah really aggressively not new user friendly and so to add on top of that this like elseworlds whatever happened in the cape crusader thing um it was based on the same sort of notion of whatever happened to the man of steel which was this book that came out after the original crisis in the 80s um and the the superman it was a superman book that was supposed to be like the last classic superman story was their notion of sort of saying goodbye to the old universe and it was i believe alan moore wrote on it uh kurt swan actually did art which is wild and it's it's this adventure of like superman's last fight and he fights these other kryptonians and he comes to the realization like the only way i can stop you is to kill you and i'm gonna use this this special kryptonite that weakens you and do it as humanely as i can uh, he doesn't fucking snap their necks or any of that shit, but he has to stop these people. And yeah. the result of that, the resulting pain of having to go that far, uh, ma- makes him retire. Um, and it, to the public, it looks like Superman has died uh, saving them, but he ends up growing a very amazing mustache uh, <laughs> and settling down with like Lois Lane and having a life as this alias. Um, and that is... They're sort of saying goodbye to that happier, brighter Superman. He has to actually confront the darkness of the darkening of comics itself, really. Yeah. And he leaves. Like, that's like, that's, I think, just an amazing story for that. And then the. The 2000s version of Cape Crusader is the weight of all this continuity, the weight of all these different versions, this Rashomon of what Batman is, uh, uh, finally collapses in and kills him. It's, yeah. it's this like, singularity of who killed Batman. It doesn't matter. He's fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. Like, but is he? He's actually back in time as a fucking caveman now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's it's both out of canon, but also in. So it's in the the personalized canon. Your your head canon for for. You know, it's not my term. It's it's a cool term, but yeah. you know, the headcanon of of the user, the fan, uh, the geek themselves, yeah. uh, and that's just again like one character, but that extends out to that whole universe, and then that extends out to multiverses and other companies' fucking multiverses, and it's it's weird how I think the mainstreaming of geekdom is like getting the notion of multiple worlds in people's heads too much and so they're losing track of the real world that we're all actually stuck in like it's it this is a, a bigger weirder tangent again but like yeah there's so many other tangents that we could have gone yeah. off of let's it's multiversal but. collapse we all need a we need a fucking original version of crisis not, <laughs> not a final one or an infinite one whatever yeah. the, the case may be <laughs> Crisis Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, um, zero hour, crisis in time. Yeah. Fucking 90s. Yeah. 90s! Uh, what? All the things the 90s have done to pop culture. Yeah, late 90s, a mess. Early 90s, better than you remember. <laughs> I was a child, so I remember none of it. It was yeah. fun to read a scum. Yeah, so... But, no, but without getting too t- into too many of the tangents that we could have wandered on down, I think we did put a little bow on it because 
essentially the whole idea, I think, is that once you've got a set of um, a set of heroes and a set of adventures, it's going to change to try and keep people coming in, but then you've got to try and keep your identity, and that's therein lies the issue of maintaining the sacred and what the sacred is based from generation to generation, because you'll also see the intergenerational spats about what the geekdom truly is and what the culture of each truly is. Mm. We talked about the gatekeeping briefly. Yeah. um, I think that really, that is the, there's the rub. And um, the whole time we've been talking, all I can think about, and I cannot remember the quote for the life of me, but in the book by Campbell, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, Mm. which I'm sure you've read, um, yeah, classic. Classic, classic. You have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking about how uh, neither of us are all that into being gatekeepers, uh, everyone here should go home and read. <laughs> Here with <laughs> a thousand faces. If right you've now. seen a Star War, you know Campbell's work. Like, yeah, it's, basically. It's that, you know, penetration into, uh, again, the titration of ideas through stuff. Yeah, the, um, the so. fact that every, that home, Homer already wrote Star Wars, that you could go watch the Bacchae and you're already, and you're watching what you're later going to go home and read if you, if you crack open the Ray. Um, especially that bit where they paired him up with, um, Superboy and threw them in Hawaii. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, like that's just got Bacchanalia, everyone tearing each other apart out of, um, all, written all over it. <laughs> but, the fact that just because these stories have been written before in a hundred different ways for a hundred thousand years doesn't mean they can't go somewhere new. And doesn't mean that because they might have already gone somewhere new, um, or that you can point that out, doesn't mean that it isn't still exciting. Yeah, absolutely. That's, for me, the the, the big, I don't know, takeaway moral of the day. <laughs> <for lack> of, <laughs> the moral uh, of this story a, is. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, uh, but... Personally, again, like, Geekdom isn't about finding the sacred. The sacred doesn't exist. It's about finding your sacred. Like, find your shit, and then find the people who are either into your shit or who aren't into your shit who you can have a conversation with. Because that's... Being a geek is that finding your sacred part. Geekdom is being able to share it however odd the piece of it is and being able to accept other people's sides of it like we didn't talk about it at all but uh again like i'm a really big doctor who fan and i'm i'm one of those like pre-new show i'm one of the like last sliver of like i got in by the skin of my teeth watched a couple of pbs's and then suddenly there was a new doctor who like it it it's funny that i got in like right fucking before so there's this whole other angle on the thing that I'd say I have that the people who've come in in the 10 years of there being a brand new show, which is fucking awesome to me, uh, don't have perspective on. Like, people still think the guy in the leather jacket's the first Doctor, and that's just wrong. Um, And I only have watched those actual first three Doctors, like, way, way, way old school BBC, mm, just because I watch old school BBC, and that happens to be mixed in there. So oh, yeah. like, I don't even have an opinion on the new stuff because I, I haven't seen it. If it happened after 1975, I probably am not aware of it. <laughs> oh, dude, you gotta watch Tom Baker. Like, oh, yeah. Tom Baker's the guy. Come on. <laughs> That's what Get I hear. teeth and curls in there. Okay. Uh, treat yourself to 1977. Just, All right. <laughs> you know? That's the thing. is like I got in through like, books and audios and shit. Okay. I got in like before there was new TV, so... 
again, I have, I have like a Z-axis to my fandom on this thing. Yeah, it's not just a TV show. Yeah. Depth, volume, whatever the fuck. Uh, but then I, I, I say depth, but I don't want people to think that... I, I don't think of it as like, I hold the sacred knowledge. It's just like, I was geekier and read extra shit. Like, I'm not, it's not like a... Yeah. It's not a not a, a, a qualitative bettering. It's just I had a little more time on my hands as a kid because the internet wasn't so fucking pervasive. <laughs> yeah. or, or at the time, I had a good enough internet access to kazaa myself most of the Doctor Who audios. Uh-huh. I later paid for them. Don't hate me. <laughs> uh, but, you know. Uh, uh, but again, like, it's, it's, it's finding... Back to my actual point. It's like it's finding your sacred because the discussion of the thing is sometimes more interesting than the thing. Like, and there have been people trying to figure out what the sacred is in what they geek on for all of time. It goes back to Shakespeare. Like, what's the best Shakespeare? It goes back to Holmes. Like, did Moriarty pretend to be Holmes when he came back after that one fucking book or whatever? Or I was love it that. I Holmes? love that theory. Like, the game. Like, yeah the, yeah. the people who actually play the game. Like, that's such a rad fucking thing. And it extends all the way out to, to again, Batman, where you're talking about all these different wild versions of this character and these else worlds and these whatever happened to it. like it's these the more exciting part of it to me is the apocrypha it's not the sacred yeah. um and that that argument's like the core of geek stuff is should we th- th- those are the two poles of it you know yeah. that's the spectrum of it. it's like do we need a sacred is it more fun to just be like so the chaos chaos and order yeah. you know I mean, and Chaos and Order was just about to bring up my my own the fandom that I really grew up with and in was Tolkien. That was my thing. Yes. Um, and the one and the amount of like fandoms and going off and, and that's been going on like w- <laughs> to say it was going on pre-internet is an understatement. <laughs> oh yeah. It's but w- one of my um favorite fan theories on that is what would have happened if the Ents got the One Ring? Then that's not a very popular fan theory. You're not going to find like books and essays on that, but you'll find some stuff. And that is talk about turning the whole thing on its head because that's um, they come in really at the end. They're very much a peripheral group within the whole world, and they're very discounted on a lot of levels throughout the story. But like the idea of like, okay, let's put the power in their hands. Let's see what happens there. And then you're going into the idea of how does this fulcrum of this world actually function, and where does it function, and how does it, like, and that is very cool just to see how people are like, oh, it wouldn't work on, on, a, on a tree person, it, would, it only works on, like, a, a someone who's, like, flesh and bone, kind of, like, you'll see that argument, too, because some people will, like, that's how they view how this story functions. Well, there's no evidence of that. That's yeah, the great no cool thing like, about that it's, argument. It's, it's, like, there's no, there's no pro or con to that. There's no, there's no evidence in either person's corner. And the re-centralizing of that narrative on the, the natural rather than the animal is, it's just a cool thought experiment. Yeah. Uh, that's rad. And, yeah. And, and then you'll also see other people who are like in support of that go back into the whole idea of bemoaning the industrialization of humanity in general. Like, mm-hmm. that being, like, that's the whole point of the Ents versus Saruman section of the story. Yeah. Um, but, like, the idea of how where fan theories fit into the sacred and geek culture is a whole whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like that. And, and that's, that's the funny thing, is I'd much rather be having a discussion about that cooler Ents thing than the much broader pop culture like AU of why didn't they just fly on the fucking eagles or whatever? Like, it's like I 
Fuck you. There like, wouldn't be a god. Like, come on. There would <laughs> like A wouldn't be a story and B they're actually they actually do refer to why they didn't. It's because they were frequently talking about how there were more battles that were going on up north in the mountains with other fragments of the Balrogs. The Balrogs See, weren't just subterranean, they were up in the mountain ranges where the fucking eagles were fighting them. Fuck you. That's why they couldn't play Uber down uh, a little further south where the hobbits were. The hobbits can carry their own damn ring. The eagles yes. are fighting Balrogs and, tro- and trolls. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Alright, if you can do that one, can I do my Star Trek uniform one? Because it's been bugging the shit out of me. People just won't pay attention. Please do, because while I love Star Trek, I actually know very little about the universe of it. Okay, so the new show, Star Trek Discovery, has these, like, quote-unquote, new uniforms. They're blue, they have different metal accents to do the divisions. Yeah. And people are, like, freaking the fuck out because they don't match what was worn in the unaired Star Trek, because Discovery is concurrent to the unaired uh, Star Trek pilot, The Cage, mm-hmm. uh, where Christopher Pike and a Spock who smiles are on the Enterprise and one of some weird butthead brain aliens. Um, okay. Like, it's concurrent to that. Um, and the events of that are, the events of that pilot are actually canon in the Trek universe because they reuse that pilot as the only two-parter in TOS, the Menagerie, where Spock talks about, like, here's this time I was with a different captain and, you know, doop doodly doo Uh, we went on an adventure with some weird butthead aliens. We can reuse this footage for cheap, uh, because <laughs> we already paid for it. Um, literally a cost-saving measure. Genius. Um, uh, uh. So, but but because Discovery has the, it's got totally different design. It's got totally different uniforms, and and the technology seems more complicated because it is a show made in 2017, not 1965, 1966. Um, I believe the cage was 64, 64. Anyway, not important. Um, so, uh, 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 but there is already like that was one of the things that like the true fans are all complaining that it's not matching the canon. But if they'd paid attention, they'd know that in one of the very first novels that came out for Discovery that is sort of interlacing these universes, they talk about how uh, the Enterprise is designed to be a long-range ship. It's to go out uh, and explore the fucking universe. So all of its shit is, all the tech on it is way more simple. Uh, They don't have these full-grain holograms. They just have standard communications that are easier to uh, uh, process and use. The buttons are simpler and more basic for, you know, battle-hardened situations. And the uniforms are just like that cardigan and pants, so uh, uh, they have a more friendly sort of outward, hey, we're Starfleet, meet us, we're not crazy militaristic weirdos. Like, it's... Uh, the Enterprise is the flagship of the fleet, so they get the it's new the uniform. welcome first. wagon. Yeah, yeah, they're literally like, hello, we come in peace, which is... Uh, it's a, it's a, <laughs> Set a phasers to stun. <laughs> exactly, like, exactly. It's the, the whole point of Discovery is also like the Klingon sort of guy who starts the whole war between the Federation and the Klingons in this ten years before TOS era. Um, his thing is, the Federation says they come in peace, and then they change you. They change you into them. Uh, they they boil you down into a basic, and, and Klingons must remain Klingon, yeah. uh, which I think is like a really genius way of justifying why those Empire, uh, the Empire and Federation, in all the way out to the furthest end of the timeline we've seen, never unify. Like, yeah. it just doesn't fucking happen. Um, but, uh, where was I fucking going with this? But the, the we come in peace thing, it's like exactly what those Constitution class ships, like the Enterprise, those, those, 
in Starship Canaan, it's like 12 ships that are sent to the far edges of the universe to just see what the fuck is going on. Well, the galaxy, yeah, to see not, what the fuck is going on. Yeah, they're not going to send them out in, like, a Tesla. They're going to send them out in like, a, in, like, a Dodge Caravan. Yeah, they send them out in, like, yeah, they send them out in a ship with... Exactly. And, and so everything is uh, 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 more basic, more battle-hardened. And all yeah. the stuff has been justified internally. Uh, uh, even the rollout of uniforms over time has been. So where... It frustrates me because where I'm excited that by like season five of Discovery, which I hope happens and I'm supporting and like being a fucking guy about, like by that point, they could all be wearing the cage uniforms, which would be really rad. And like fans could be excited about that, but instead they're complaining they're not getting dessert first. You know? And it's not like, and it's not like fucking Discovery is vegetables. It is. A really good steak. Like, it is a high-quality piece of Star Trek made for 2017 in 2017. It's about uh, uh, the normalization of constant war. It's about the militarization of science and development. And it's about, canonically, within the world they're in, the time frame they're in, it's about getting to TOS. And people think TOS is this break beautiful beacon of hope and light, but if you actually watch the show, it's a lot of people bickering on a bridge. Yeah. Uh, like For being the like ambassador of peace and love to the universe, like Kirk has to be mentally coerced into kissing Uhura. They can take the credit for having the first interracial kiss on TV, but neither of them wants to be there in the scene as those characters. Yeah. Um, so it's... For me, Discovery is about, like, facing the uncomfortable truth of getting to the myth, you know, the legend, all that shit. It's, it's the dark underbelly of the things, the, the legacies we want to believe, the things we allow to titrate to the surface, you know? Um, and the fact that it's constantly getting bogged down in this bullshit about uniforms and the fact that they're using CGI instead of a model that doesn't photograph properly on a fucking blue screen, like, it's not... I mean, if you look back at TOS, like, the nacelles just disappear. Uh, <laughs> like, it, the fact that a show made in 2017 doesn't look like a show made in 1965 is a fucking good thing. And, <laughs> and the idea that that's not part of the sacred is just stupid to me. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. That's part of my personalization of the thing, too. Like, I have to accept that. There's, there's all the science. All the, yeah, okay. Yeah, you, you, uh, you cut off right about, yeah, I think you were saying all the science. Or something. Yeah, I think sides. Yeah, yeah. Am I still recording? Am I back? You're, yeah, you're back. You're back. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there's all the sides to to the thing, kind of existing concurrently, and they have to, you know, they have to operate together. Like we have to get to the point where, like, we can all accept that we're all just fucking different. Like it's it's been the problem with literally everything. I understand, but like it even files down to geekdom and this notion of the sacred because. It's a fiction. There is no sacred. Like, it doesn't... It's, it's not going to exist in a world that is inherently fictional. We're trying to literalize fiction. And it doesn't work. It's not a thing you can do. We're trying to standardize the ideas of people. It's not, it's not a thing. You yeah. can't do that. You, you can't... You, and you, it's in a matter of, like idea exchange. Nothing yeah. here is supposed to be set in stone. Exactly. This, is supposed to be, this is supposed to be something that's in flux. Something that you yeah, pass from yeah. person to person that's going to move around and change and be a living, breathing thing. 
Yeah, it sh- and it, sh- it needs that room. Fiction needs that room, or it, it stifles. You know, if, if you know, I, I, I'm worried that, you know, in 10 years, I know this is like a cliche, but I'm all, I'm the deepest into superheroes of a lot of people I know, and I'm tired of superhero movies. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'd rather go see a new Star Wars than something with a fucking cape in it. And there's going to need to be, and the, the cool thing is, you know, some of the people, some of the people, uh, some of the companies making these superhero things are saying, like, we're going to go experiment and be wild and have a lot of fun. And they need to, or uh, the stagnation, I think, is going to stifle all yeah. this. It's going to kill it again. I think uh, the reason a lot of people I know cling to and create these sacred um, versions of these fictions and of these um, things and everything starts to stagnate is because people don't realize that you're not going to take away the power of something by letting it mm. change. Yeah. Change doesn't mean removing the power. It's still going to be an, a powerful force, um, something that people can look to and be inspired by and be entertained by, and it's it's still going to ring true with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not... You shouldn't discount a, um, a story or a comic, and it's still... Just the same way that it hit you on a very personal, deep level. Um, whatever you're being geeky about, whether we're talking about a comic mm. or a movie or like or a hobby, it's still going to be just as poignant if you let it change. Yeah. At the same time, too, we have to allow... Okay, this is the thing that popped in my head while, uh, while you're serious. Is, 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 is... Everybody listening right now, are you a fan of the movie Chinatown? Are you aware that there's a sequel to the movie Chinatown called The Two Jakes that is really fucking bad? Because it exists. It's out there. Is it poisoning the legacy of Chinatown? No. Chinatown's still fucking there, doing its own thing, being Chinatown. So, like, this notion that sequels ruin things is provably false. I can. I just did it. I did it in one. Like, it's, 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 it's silly to me, the pursuit of a sacred, because... That's not our job, you know. That's that's it's not what it's, it's it's just it's 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 beyond us. Uh, that's the sort of thing that strikes me. It's 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 it, yeah. It, it's as close to sort of religiosity as I get is this sort of belief that these debates are not our parlance. Like it's for future generations. It's it's for. The arc of history. It's for, you know, we're cogs in a big, weird, stellar machine. Uh, so I've probably given up that I'm not just drinking coffee, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay. that, that's the whole point of this. I, I, t- I keep telling everybody, it's it's record, drunk, edit, sober. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. Well, yeah. that's writing, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's no. the key. Yeah, no. so, sober, sober me will edit this later. And sober me hates drunk me because yeah. I, I'm, I'm horrible to edit. <laughs> I hate editing oh. me. I have this, no, uh, yeah, I have this conversational thing. I always say, like, this future Michael's problem, <laughs> you know. And future Michael fucking hates past Michael. That guy's a dick. Yeah, no. he just doesn't plan his shit out. You uh, know. Yeah, I, I keep talking about how like e- editor Milo hates podcaster Milo. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Oh my god, yeah, so much. That's why, yeah, that's, that's why having your friend for dinner is so much better than 1986 cast because I don't have to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's somebody else. It's great. Yeah. He's awesome. No, really good at it. It's way better than I am. I'm constantly <laughs> apologizing to everyone else on my ne- on my network, just being like, Editor Milo gave up. That's why this sounds <laughs> like shit. Talk to HR Milo. Talk to producer Milo. We're trying to... We're staging an intervention for... <laughs> That's, yeah, I think take it to HR is like the joke of our generation of creative people. Yeah, except I'm HR. Like, exactly, there's fucking three of us. If we're going to take it to HR, I'm going to make a 180 turn, look right back at you and go, fuck off. 360 turn, look right back at you and be like, mm, I can't help you there, sorry. I'm also HR, bye. Like, like, sorry. Every, every creative endeavor I've had, we've so, had that joke. Because we'll p- we're all friends too, you know? Yeah, my favorite thing to do whenever I'm in that situation is just kind of like, I've heard your complaints, I'll pitch it to the board. Yeah. I'm the board. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it to the higher-ups. Yeah. Oh, I just did. Right, go away. <laughs> I did. <laughs> they, they say fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Sit there and silently ponder for a second and then go, no, they're, they we're all in agreement, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> Me and all the voices in my head are in agreement. Yeah. Leave. <laughs> Me, future Michael, everybody up here. Everybody. We're all like, nah, get out. You gotta go. Everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody here is done with you. And um, and honestly, I, I should I should probably put a pin in this conversation. We're gonna go nice. off on a whole other tangent. Um, oh yeah. So uh, thank thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And uh, I think this is about where you should jump on that soapbox and tell everybody again. All those oh. other things that you uh, pod- podcast and do videos about and where they could find your writing and all that. Yes, I think the easiest way to follow me would be either Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Michael Nixon, uh, spelled Michael, like a Michael properly, <laughs> A-E-L, not E-A-L, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, and Nixon, like the dead guy, uh, <laughs> you know, that one, the crook one. Um uh, yeah, so follow me uh, on either of those guys. I tend to update uh, usually Twitter with like new episodes of Having a Friend for Dinner, uh, which you can also find at friend, the number four, dinner, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, or on Facebook groups. We have a group there if you're digging the show, uh, watching along on Hannibal uh, or not. Uh, uh, so uh, everybody at home also knows like season two, we're going to start also synopsizing the movies and episodes within the podcast, so it will be easy. You won't necessarily need to watch along. Uh, we're going to try and make it a little more new user, listener friendly uh, as we go. Um, and also, yeah, I'm also always doing weird writing and video things, so keep tabs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. This has been fun, hopefully actually useful. I just sort of rambled. Oh, no, uh, this, is, this is exactly <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I was hoping was going to happen. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please uh, continue to follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and Podbean. And please go to our Redbubble page, buy some T-shirts. They th- say things like, non fui fui, son, non sums, non curo, which is... I was not, I have been, I am not, I do not care. And also things like Ask Me About My Death Anxiety or Manic Pixie Dream Nilist. And um, buy t-shirts, buy mugs. And I need all these shirts. <laughs> and if, good shirts. <laughs> we have great shirts. Um, Damn. And if you have had an alternative theological experience, please email me. I will take you on this show and I will get you drunk and we will talk about things. Um, and please, everyone... Everyone, come on, come on down, come on to the show, let's rant, and you all stay weird out there.